1: Hello and welcome back to the EPR Roundtable podcast. I am your host today, Jake Jackman, and you can get us on Twitter at EPR Roundtable or by email, EPRRoundtable at gmail.com.
0: Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Buff. I'm the editor of WallsBlog.com, and unsurprisingly, I'm a supporter of Wolverhampton Wondrous. You can get me on uh, Twitter at WallsBlog.
2: Hi, guys. I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPR Roundtable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jim KnightTweets.
1: Thanks so much for joining me, both of you. Uh, obviously, most of you can tell I am not Kevin DeVries, who is off this week, but I will do my Steve Brewster's Rafa Benitez and try and get through mm-hmm. this podcast as calmly and as smoothly as possible. Uh, getting into the topic for today, I think we're going to start with VAR, which is quite nice having both of you on, as obviously there was a VAR situation in the game between Wolves and Leicester earlier with Wolves having a goal disallowed, uh, following on from the City game where there was a a few decisions that sort of got pulled away from that one as well, including the penalty that was having to be retaken, which I wasn't certain if that was coming into the Premier League. I think it might have been encroachment uh, rather than the keeper moving off his line, but it wasn't quite clear. Even now, it's not clear why they disallowed that one. Um, so, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, do you think that there have been any problems this weekend? Um, or And do you think that it will be a positive for the season as a whole?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's... It's very tough because, I mean, I think what you were hoping in the opening weekend or the early decisions of our that it would be really cut and dry stuff that was, you know, you can't dispute the fact, like an obvious handball um, or, or something of that effect. But, I mean, in the, the Wolves-Leicester game today, the goal that was chalked off for Wolves was, you know, you're <laughs> you look looking back at it on the replay and it's ruled out for a handball where it's it's maybe touched the top of someone's arm who's not even really looking at the ball, and it, it's barely even touched his arm. And it's so it, those things that you know the, the goal at face value is just it looks like a perfectly good goal. Everyone's celebrated the back at the centre circle, and then suddenly there's news that it's going to be reviewed. And as I say, the replays aren't clear. It's so it, it's very. It's very tough in that respect. But, I mean, I'm speaking as a Wolves fan. Obviously, I felt the pain of celebrating that goal and then having it chalked off. You know, it it was by no means an obvious one. So, that's quite tough to accept. And I think I'm quite surprised, as I said to you before we started recording, Jake, that my understanding with how the Premier League were going to play it was that they were going to gradually introduce, you know, they were going to take kind of a soft approach and really look at the clear errors and eliminating those and then Go into you know more aggressive moments. They sort of honed their approach to it, but it just seems like in the Man City game, that encroachment was probably the right decision. I saw it back last night, but it was it's a very minor issue. The penalty was saved; it didn't really make a huge difference. And then today, I felt like it was more controversial to chalk off that goal than to award it, based even based on the replays. So, um, so yeah. So at, at present, I think it's been a rough ride um you know for VAR in the opening weekend but then obviously I am biased and and it's impacted my team's results so perhaps I'm probably feeling it more acutely than than the general viewer
2: yeah I think the issue with the Wolves goal um in terms of the VAR decision was one that it was what would be I think judged as a marginal decision in any other kind of season um but the, it, coupled with the fact that it's a VAR decision, which I think most people weren't even expecting, um, together with the fact that the Premier League are now taking a very hard-line stance on handball. So I was just looking up today the, um, the new uh, ruling and they say any goal scored or created with the use of the hand or the arm will be disallowed in this Premier League season, even if it's accidental under the laws of the game. So uh, it, the, the issue, I think, is twofold um fans are getting used to var which in england obviously is a bit of an alien concept um, it's been in, introduced in several other european leagues um and you know the latter stages of some cup competitions for a couple of seasons but for english fans kind of especially match going fans it's a pretty terrible experience just to be sat in the stadium for one two three minutes at a time not knowing what's being looked at um and I know obviously some people are being reviewed, but it doesn't help as a match-going fan uh, in terms of your experience if you just kind of sat there waiting for uh, John Moss in this case, who's 200 miles away or wherever he's stationed in some hold-up TV tower to make a decision. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's twofold. One is VAR and two is the completely new um, version of the handball rule because, again, that is something that used to be judged on natural position of the arm whether it was in an unnatural position whether it was intentional or not i think that's been in the rule before so it, it's it's a double whammy really um for wolves fans especially because it didn't look obvious at the time because it was kind of a a point blank uh thing there was nothing bolly could have done to get his arm out of the way he's kind of jumped for the same ball uh that then dendonka has when he's when he's hit it towards goal and it struck bolly come down and then dendonka's just kind of rifled it into the net so yeah, I think Wolves can feel aggrieved, um, but it won't be the last time we see a goal ruled out like that in the next couple of weeks. Because how many times do you see a bit of a goal mouth scramble where the balls kind of ping ponging around, and you know it hits someone on the arm, even accidentally? That's going to be it's going to be a yeah, yeah, a really really difficult one um for attacking teams to take because there's no intention there you can't change the position in your hands um especially if you're jumping up for a ball so I don't think it's the last time we'll hear this kind of issue that's for sure
0: mm. yeah I suppose my I suppose my only I'm like, I'm kind of okay with it on the basis that it is rolled out across the season the only frustrating thing is I kind of just know in the back of my mind that. There's going to be a goal of very similar nature, and several goals across the season. and They're just not going to give it. You know, that's the frustration for me. I think I know they're trying to eliminate the, you know, the discussion on handball, and I think that's right because you can't have this. Is it intentional? Is it not intentional? But the point is, they need to they need to make sure that in other games that you know those marginal handballs are, are, are punished in the same way. So um,
2: definitely, I think we need to look back on this in six weeks time and there need to have been several other decisions where it's gone exactly the same because if you are going to t- i can completely i completely agree with you in terms of the handball because how do you judge someone's intention uh whether it was an intentional and held ball or not how do you judge um someone's natural body position um you know we had the ridiculous um manchester united penalty decision given in the champions league against uh psg yeah. um in the, in the knockouts last season where you know, it was just a player jumping up and kind of turning his body away from the ball with his hands in the air and it hits him, you know, what's a natural position, what's an unnatural position. So absolutely agree. Uh, And hopefully, you know, this is set a precedent now that any any handball involvement or perceived handball involvement leads to a goal being ruled out. Um, But if it doesn't and the referees start taking that into account, you know, making their own decisions based on uh, whether they their interpretation of the rule, it's going to you know, cause mayhem because you can't operate like that.
1: Yeah, I think one it is at this point, it's, it's very new. So we don't really have a precedent to, to judge it against in England, um, at least in the Premier League. So what Thomas is saying about the Wolves goal now, and, and he thinks that maybe there's going to be some that are given like that in, in say, by the end of the season if there's been a lot of goals and they've all been disallowed we'll just look back at this and think that it was a straightforward decision so it is very much an early precedent uh, I think my takeaway from the Manchester City game um, was that the offside call on Raheem Sterling for for the disallowed goal although correct I, I think offside is one of those ones that is black and white it is correct it just seems the hyper-correctness of it all kind of does take away a little bit from the game but I, I, that's a complaint I've always had with it and, and if they're consistent with that um, then, then that's absolutely fine Um Another thing that I thought was quite interesting in the Manchester United game uh, later on that I'm not sure if, if you guys saw, but there, there was a, an offside decision on a goal that that was clearly offside. But in the lead up to it, uh, Pogba was, was tackled and, and it was probably a foul. Um, but the referee let the play go on, uh, and then when it was ruled out for offside, they didn't go back and give the foul, which I thought was a little bit odd. Oh. So it, it is how far do you go back? Um, yeah, that, that is a problem that I I have with it, and I guess that's just where it's so new, and we're just going to see what? how that does go. What?
0: I thought in that instance that Pogba, what happened was Pogba released the pass and at the moment he releases the pass, the man who received it, was Rashford or Martial, he's offside and then the foul then comes in. So the offside predates the foul, doesn't it? The offside is actually awarded before the foul. Does that make sense? That's what I, that was my interpretation as I saw it. But then if you say, well, actually, he got fouled and then he was offside, I thought he was offside and then he was fouled. <laughs> so.
1: uh, did the did, did the assistant not not raise his flag when it was clearly offside? I think that was the problem because they're told not to raise their flag aren 't they and then yeah. they went and checked. so that 's where the problem with something like that lies, but you know as long as they 're consistent, it is just very new um and i 'm sure that they they'll get it all worked out it's but every decision that that does go to it in the first few weeks is just going to be hyper analyzed and it is just, I think the the great thing about the Premier League, or at least from the opening weekend, from what I've seen, and they're not having the, the referees run over to the little the little box at the side, which yeah. I think that that really took away from a lot of the decisions. It was quite annoying to watch. I'm glad that they didn't they didn't bring that into the Premier League. I think they just got to trust the people that are, that are making the decisions at VAR and try and get the stoppages as, as small as possible.
2: I think that's fair. I think the issue that we're going to have this is an issue with this football generally, not the Premier League, but football is so fluid as a sport and people will complain about the lack of technology in football and use other sports to cite the reason that it should be included. So cricket, tennis, you know, with Hawkeye, um, and kind of other sports where there's reviews like rugby, rugby union, rugby league, both of them have kind of third officials, I guess, for, for like TMOs, uh, for tries and, and foul play. The issue with those is that particularly the tennis and the, the cricket is that they're very stop start games Football's so fluid that you can have a sequence where two or three var worthy things could have happened in one spell of play um you know you could have a potential foul at one end not given the team go up the other end and score a goal how, how it's so difficult to to kind of officiate that on the basis of that technology because there's no natural end point to Game, and what you don't want to have to do is stop it and kill the move completely just to check it. Because if it's proved to not be penalty worthy um, or kind of decision worthy, then you've just spoiled that next spell of play. Um, So it's not an easy thing to do, and and don't get me wrong, I'm you know, I do not envy the kind of officiating community trying to make this work. Um, And there'll always be people that insist it's not a good thing, and there'll always be people that vehemently defend it. Um, But the issue is that you know even in cricket there's umpires call it's some kind of element of judgment in terms of the the official makes the decision and if it's an absolute shocker which is beyond doubt they overturn it if it's not it stays as it is and you're allowed to review you know a number of reviews in the set period whereas in football it's it's very very difficult seemingly to to get to that because you know an offside that's a millimeter offside is off if offside is black and white you know that's going to That seems to me like a prime candidate for some kind of middle ground where if you're five millimetres offside, then you you let it go because it's obviously not visible to the naked eye on first shout. But then if you're bringing technology in, if you're a millimetre offside, you're a millimetre offside. Um, Yeah, it's it's a difficult one for sure.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting to see how that sort of works itself out over the next few weeks. I'm sure we'll all come accustomed to it and, and decisions will just become more obvious and hopefully it does help with and they do sort out and make sure that the game continues to flow and i think they did quite a good job on that on the whole this weekend from what i've seen so that is a positive but moving on to the next topic obviously the premier league has moved to a a structure where the transfer window closes before the start of the season so that is now closed um i'm reading that 1.4 billion or just over that was spent by premier league clubs this summer so obviously an eye-watering amount and that that's spending that goes on doesn't seem to be going down anytime soon um with clubs spending 100 million at at will that seemed to be a price uh, or at least a transfer budget that Chelsea used to spend you know back when Abramovich took over and that was a lot of money now uh Leicester can go and do it Newcastle can do and do it and you know any club can go and spend that sort of money um I guess I just want to get your guys' thoughts on the value in the transfer market, which is very difficult to judge now, and, and it is quite a, a broad term, but I just want to get your guys' thoughts on who you think got the best you know, value transfer this summer.
0: Um, well, I, I think, it, as you say, it's hard on game week one to basically say that team's had good value, but my interpretation oh. of the, the summer window was that Premier League teams were doing better at look, trying to find value it seemed like they weren't just pulling the trigger on every single transfer. So I think there were a lot of deals that looked like they were going to get there and then they didn't because perhaps it wasn't you know, it wasn't worth it and they backed away. I mean Man United backed away supposedly from Dybala because they didn't want to didn't want to come or, you know, he had ridiculous wage demands. Um you know, and so I think I think there was a couple of instances like that which made me think that, yeah, they they're looking for players and I know Wolves were linked with several players who they got very close to. There was Lamina at Southampton um, and there was a guy, at AC Milan, Kessie, I think his name is midfielder. We, we could have potentially signed them, but then we, we didn't want to pay what the, the going rate was. We didn't want to, Lamina, I think Southampton wanted a a full on transfer and Wolves only wanted a loan with a view to a transfer. So I think a lot of teams are doing sound uh, business. The Premier League, I don't think he's, he's quite the laughing stock It was maybe a, a season ago, two seasons ago, but you know we were just throwing money at everything. Um, I get the sense now that even the the big teams in the league are probably a bit more desperate, and they're throwing more money at it than than Premier League teams. So, so I think I think the 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 quest for value has improved. I think that's something Premier League teams are becoming more aware of. Um, as as a guess on who's probably done the best business, I mean I, I just look at Man City and the way that they. Cherry pick one or two players to improve an already very good squad. They've just, I mean, they've got every conceivable advantage already, of course. But I just think they've made a, an already formidable squad even better. And those two signings of Rodri and Cancelo, they will they will take them on another level once they're integrated into their team. So, unfortunately, I would probably have to say that the strong have got stronger in that sense. So I'd probably give it to Man City.
2: Yeah, I think City, as much as they do spend a eye-watering amount of money in total, um, they never seem to be um, overpaying for one particular player. Um, so they're kind of polar opposite, I think, to United in the sense that you look at some of United's business and people raise their eyebrows over eighty million for Harry Maguire, fifty million for Aaron Wamba after what is an essentially one kind of good season and two good seasons for Maguire um, at Premier League level, but. City always seems to go out and find a player that... And the thing is, I think with City, that that Maguire incident is probably the perfect example. They didn't want to pay £80 and they just flat out refused to get involved in a bidding war, um, by the sounds of it, and it was basically down to Ed Woodward and Leicester City to negotiate their way to a price. It sounds like City were quoted the same money as United and said, nope, that's too rich for our blood, we have other priorities, we'll just go off and do our own thing. Um, and look elsewhere and to be fair Leicester did something very similar in the sense that I think once we'd sold Harry Maguire with a a couple of days left in the window or of kind of four or five days I think it was uh, by the time it actually went through um, we were quoted some ridiculous figures for the likes of Lewis Dunk, Nathan Ackie, James Tarkovsky you know what's the point in selling Harry Maguire if you're going to go and drop 50 or 60 million on a replacement Um, and I think we just said right. That's it. We're not going to buy another centre back. We're just going to have to do with what we've got, you know, reassess in January, Um, which hopefully that is a sign that people are starting to be a little bit smarter. But then clubs have 100 million just to burn through, I guess, when you're in the Premier League. So it's kind of of little consequence while you're still in the top flight, because that money is going to keep flowing in. The problem comes when you get relegated and you try and play all those players' um, wages and whatever else they've got going on in terms of, you know, hyped up contracts with all these uh, bonuses and stuff on top. Um, My one suggestion for kind of best value in the transfer window, and this is a bit of a cheat code because we've already seen him um, for six months, but Euro Telemans at at Leicester for 40 million, although it's quite a big fee in isolation. he is a bargain at 40 million. I'm absolutely amazed that no one better than us, with all due respect to Leicester, came in and bought him on the back of what he did at the end of last season uh, when he was on loan. And, you know, Monaco clearly didn't want him. God knows why, because he's one of their better midfielders. But obviously I think that ship had sailed by the time he'd left on loan. Um, So he wasn't going to change his mind um, coming back. And, I was absolutely amazed that we got that deal done, purely because I thought he would be the perfect player for the likes of Manchester United, who'd lost Ander Herrera, Um, you know, that kind of defensive midfielder, but someone that can do the dirty work, but also has a real kind of attacking outlet as well. He's unbelievable. And I think today he showed some really classy touches. Um, And I think over the course of the season, that will prove to be 40 million well spent. I've got absolutely no doubt about that. Um, so that would be my kind of shout for one of the best signings of the window. I think Mopay as well, at uh, Brighton uh, from Brentford is a real talent. And I think Brighton are operating in that, not Moneyball because everyone calls everything money ball now that's data related, but they are looking for alternate value in the market. They're looking away from maybe the traditional um, routes of buying players. And I think 20 million for him. I know he scored, you know, as soon as he'd come onto the pitch. Um, so it's easy to say that when he's got one appearance off the bench and one goal but I think he'll be a kind of real gem for them this season I think they're a really exciting team under Graham Potter um, going forward.
1: Yeah what well, one point I just wanted to bring up about deadline day there was obviously the, the Wilfred Zaha saga that went on uh, with him wanting to leave the club saying that the club had given him these promises about wanting uh, to move on especially if a top six club came in bids of up to 70 million if you were Believe all reports were were turned down, even if that did come from Everton. Um, it, it's interesting to see that the future of these sort of middling clubs, the mid table clubs, those clubs that are pushing on for that top six. And I guess Leicester and Wolves are both good examples of that. There's players in both teams. Nevers for Wolves, um, Madison Tielmans. Obviously, he's just come in, but I'm sure he's going to be a player that is only going to get better. Um, just want to know your guys' thoughts on the Zaha situation. Do you think that it is a, a precedent of maybe? Players being reluctant to sign these longer-term deals, uh, and maybe release clauses needing to come in because Premier League clubs can now afford to keep hold of players, even if um, you know they want to move on. And in the past, we would have seen Zaha go long before this point. He's now twenty-seven, I think. So he or twenty-six, 27, so he is getting to that peak year. Just want to get your guys' thoughts on the situation with players at that sort of next level of clubs, and, and if this is going to be a situation that just keeps repeating itself. I guess the Maguire situation came close to being like that, although he was a little bit more professional.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it was difficult. I think Zahar is a tricky one because obviously he wants away from Palace, but he has a great affinity with that club, doesn't he? So it it was kind of like he wanted to make it very public that he wanted to leave to try and force through the move, but he wasn't prepared to go all out wasn't prepared to really throw his toys out of the pram and go, "Well, I'm not training, I'm not playing or so he couldn't he kind of by not doing that he couldn't force through the move. I think players can still force through if they want to, but they have to really be prepared to you know damage their personal reputation in order to do it um you know the with with zahar that I found that to be a strange one that he when when Arsenal were coming in for him, I kind of thought, yeah, okay, I can see that." And then it just seemed like Arsenal didn't want to pay the going rate. Everton got the scent of it and kind of said, "Well, we'll pay a bit more." And you know, but I was surprised he wanted that move because I mean, Everton are an up-and-coming team. They're a team that may get into the top six, but then again, they may finish tenth again. You just don't know. It's it's impossible to to know. But I mean, on your point of of these players who are in that next group. It, it's they're in a difficult situation now. And I think because these these teams in the middle of the league, they can pay good wages. I mean, I think Neves is on 65 grand at Wolves. Okay, if one of the mega clubs won him in the top four, they might pay him 150 grand, and he may have his head turned by it. But I don't think it's um, I don't think the, the disparity is quite what it used to be. Um, and I think players are also more switched on to the idea that they want to be playing regularly because they see... Probably careers getting extinguished when you know they move up from this middle ground up to the the top teams. They don't necessarily get the game time, and a young promising career can very quickly fizzle out, and they end up somewhere much worse. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think it doesn't seem to me this summer it didn't seem quite the same. I know Man United signed Bissaka and Maguire, but generally it didn't seem like the top teams were picking off the Premier talent of the the middle teams. That doesn't seem to be where it's going now because the middle teams are are asking for massive fees, as was the case with Zaha, asking for massive fees. And that puts off the the top team. So they then go and look abroad for a a player of equivalent talent they can hopefully get for much less. But um, that's why I think the market is generally more interesting than it's ever been. And less deals are going through, I I feel, um, because I think it's harder for those top teams to get elite players without paying an absolute... Kings ransom for it and that's why the competition I think is getting a bit condensed you know we're obviously not taking into account Man City and Liverpool who are ahead of everyone else
2: yeah I think it's a fair point about the, um, the middling teams being able to compete with wages um, and it's funny that signing a new long-term contract for a promising player used to be seen as a positive for the kind of selling club because it then and for the player obviously because they get more money um but then it was used to kind of justify the higher transfer fees um and now players might start being a little bit more wary you know about doing that because then if they if clubs then start using that as a reason not to sell them um, to say look you know zahar's just signed a new long-term deal um which he did fairly recently um but we don't know what promises were made to him, you know, at boardroom level to say, look, if an offer comes in for you, we will we will listen to it. And, you know, that agreement was made in good faith. Um, I think it's interesting in the idea of release clauses, uh, like it is in Spain where every player has a release clause put in. If that's an astronomical fee, you know, 800 million euros or whatever, fine. But, you know, that has to be agreed by both parties when the, the, the pen is put to paper. So potentially that's a way clubs could go with their really promising prospects. And if Leicester had, say, agreed a minimum release clause of 80 million for Harry Maguire, we wouldn't have had three weeks of back and forth um, and posturing and then United paying exactly the fee that we wanted in the first place. It would make things a lot easier. Um, But I don't know whether clubs and players would want to do that, whether some players think that prices them out of the market and they don't necessarily, they're not going to get the best end of that deal. Um it's a, it's a difficult one. Zaha's situation was slightly unusual. I could kind of see where, similar you know, to what we've said already, Arsenal is a step up from Palace, absolutely, and I'm not saying Everton wouldn't be, but there's no guarantee that Everton will be playing European football, for example, um, next year. Uh, we don't know. I think that middle tier of teams is very, very congested um, between maybe kind of 7th and 11th. Um, and there's no telling kind of who's going to finish where with any great degree of certainty, um, especially with the unlikelihood of, of um, Chelsea and maybe Arsenal. And, um, being as, as good as they have been in previous years you know neither of them arsenal have made quite a lot of good transfer moves but their defence is still absolutely woeful against better teams you know they could really come unstuck so there's no guarantee they're going to be a top six team uh either this year it's 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 a really difficult one and um i don't think there's an easy answer to it because the money is going to keep flooding in so the money in the middle tiers is still going to be uh it's still going to put off big teams from coming and paying that because All in all, if you take kind of sponsorships and stuff out of it, and I know that's a massive part of it, a lot of the clubs essentially have the same budget, you know, from year to year. How clubs can kind of maximise that through their commercial opportunities is slightly different. And it's different if you're dealing with a a juggernaut like Manchester United, but Man City are going to balk at 60, 70 million for a player, if that's what they're quoted. Um so, yeah, it's I think it's going to make the market really, really interesting because the likes of Zaha could end up staying at Palace a lot longer because of the fact that, that you know, nobody else is able to to buy them out, essentially. Uh, and Palace are quite content just to say no to any offer below their 70 million asking price, which is absolutely insane when you if you thought about that a couple of years ago. But it just shows the effect of that kind of Premier League TV money, uh, which makes everybody, you know, you're automatically probably one of the top 30 clubs in Europe as soon as you get promoted, regardless of where you finish, uh, which is ridiculous, really, when you think about it like that.
1: Yeah, another thing with Zaha as well, obviously uh, I've seen a lot of Arsenal, Everton fans sort of criticising Palace on, on social media but, uh, about, uh, about the asking price. I thought it was a little bit too high, but then the value of these players to the lower clubs is a lot more than they would be at, at the clubs they're going to, because if, if Palace would have sold Zaha on deadline day, I'm sure a lot of people would have expected them, or at least thought they might have been uh, one of the clubs involved in the relegation battle. I mean, that, that is maybe even the point with are but especially without him, that that would have been a certainty. So he's worth a lot more, and, and those differing evaluations just makes it so difficult for Premier League clubs to do business with each other now. Uh, but moving on to a little bit of, of the clubs this week, we've obviously got Leicester and Wolves uh, represented. We'll come to you first, Thomas. Um, Last year, Wolves were probably one of the best promoter clubs ever to have come up, or at least in recent times, uh, got into the Europa League, got to the uh, Cup semi-final. Uh, what, is, I guess, is the expectation for Wolves fans this season with the Europa League coming into it as well, which can be a difficult competition to manage? Uh, do you think they've got the squad size for it and do you think that you will be pushing on again uh, and maybe trying to better your league finish?
0: Yeah, it's very tough. Um, on the Europa League we look like we're going to get through this round um, and we, it looks like we're going to have to play Torino in the final qualifying round. And that's probably as hard as it can get as a qualifier to the Europa. So there's no guarantee we'll get past Torino. Um, and to answer your question about squad depth, we've always, ever since Nuno's been the manager, he likes to operate with a proper skeleton group. So, we, you know, we've got a squad of about 18, 19, what I would call you know, first team squad and then only a couple. So we, we, on the face of it, we definitely don't have the squad to be competing on multiple fronts. So that could come back to bite us in the behind at some point. Um, And I think a lot of Wolves fans are realising that if we go far in the Europa League, that may come at the expense of the, you know, progress in the Premier League. I think it'd be very tough to do better than we did last year and do well in the Europa League and compete in the Europa League. So if we get to the group stages in Europe. Um, I don't see us being, you know, quite as high at the table as we were last season come the end of May. So yeah, difficult. I mean we brought in um Patrick Catrone from AC Milan and Vallejo for our defender from from Real Madrid. So those were two players we shipped out uh, Cavallero and Costa to championship teams, and they were kind of impact substitutions we were using who weren't really having an impact. So in that sense, you could say we upgraded the squad with players that fit Nuno's system and are going to give us options from the bench we didn't have last year. So possibly, but I, I mean, we need what we need to do is avoid injuries and suspensions because we don't have the squad to sustain any kind of push. Um, if if they start piling up so um, me personally I think my expectation is to try and be competitive if we can with the the likes of Leicester and West Ham and Everton who are you know trying to to push as hard as they can uh, to to get towards the top six but certainly be in that that pocket between seventh and and tenth uh, if possible if we can do that and and do okay in, in the Europa League and one of the domestic cups again I'd be very happy with that.
1: Yeah, quick question on your squad depth. Uh, obviously, you said that Nuno likes to, to operate with a smaller squad, but two players that went out this summer that I was slightly surprised at were, were Helder Costa and, and Cavalera, who obviously both went back to the championship. Uh, I know you don't really play with wingers too much in the Premier League, but were you surprised to see those two go?
0: No, I honestly wasn't. I mean, I think Helder Costa particularly, since Nuno changed the system not to play with wingers, I mean, Costa was a player who basically hugs the... The, the wing position you know he's on, on the getting chalk on his boots kind of player and he was finding it very tough and and, and in the Premier League Wolves are a, a, a counter punching team you know we we break through the transitions we, we pick up the loose balls and that's how we hurt teams and that was how we, we really hurt Leicester today in the times we got forward you know we, we caught them out a bit and then sprung a the, sprung the ball forward quickly and that just didn't that didn't really suit Helder Costa and he was increasingly marginalised Cavalero was more of a useful player because he can he can do quite a number of jobs and he had quite a good goal scoring record throughout his time at Wolves. So I was a bit surprised given the quality of our squad that he he was let go. Um, and I think what that we all expected was another one or two bodies to come in because it felt like we had a small squad last season and then we haven't really added to it. We have brought two young lads in from Lazio, two Portuguese lads, unsurprisingly. Um, and we don't really know whether they're going to be more involved with the youth team or the, the first team. So they may give us those attacking options that we've lost through, through losing cabin and, and, and Costa. But I think the fact that they've gone to championship clubs, um, not really any premier league interest probably tells you that even though they, they are good impact players and they, they have the ability to do things in the premier league, they haven't got that consistency perhaps to, to really be top level. So um you know, not not a massive surprise because they were the weak links of the group last year. I'd
1: say. Yeah, and Jim, moving on to Leicester, uh, I think we touched on Harry Maguire and obviously the transfer stuff that went on there. Uh, so Youngku was the player to come in and play at centre back today. Do you expect him to continue, or do you think that Wes Morgan will eventually come back into the team?
2: Yeah, I think it'll be Sun Chu primarily. Um, I think Morgan is essentially our maybe fourth choice centre back now. Um, behind Johnny Evans, Sunchu and even Philip Benkovic as well, who hasn't really had that good of a pre-season by all accounts. And he's very much behind Sunchu in the pecking order. But he was at Celtic last year uh, on loan. and Obviously, that's where Brendan Rodgers came from. So... The two know each other relatively well um, already. Um, And I think he's still more of a prospect um, long term, obviously, than Morgan is. And I think the reason that Morgan signed his new deal is as much to get into the coaching side as it is for the playing side. So I think we'll see him fill in where necessary. But I think his appearances might be limited to cups and, you know, that busy Christmas period. Maybe if you've got four games in 10 days and you're carrying an injury, um, he could definitely still do a job, as we've seen at the back end of last season, but um, he's he, he's not someone you want to be relying on on a regular basis. Um, again, I think we were kind of surprised a little bit that we didn't bring in a centre-back replacement for Maguire. Uh, but maybe this is where the master plan of buying Sancho and Benkovic a couple of years ago comes into effect, that were Maguire ever to move on we still feel like we've got enough cover at that position uh, and that's all well and good until you get an injury or a suspension um, and then your true squad depth is very much tested. You know, everything's OK and dandy on, on week one. Um, if, if we're talking again in week 18, 19, um, things might be a little different and we might have hoped that we'd have expanded that position a little bit more and added. But, yeah, um, all credit to, to Rogers for, for not bowing to those kind of um Transfer requests, I guess, and well, the transfer pricing that we were quoted because it sounds like there were some of them were ridiculous. But um, yeah, I think Sunchu has has made that position his own. Especially today, he he was absolutely brilliant. Um, he was probably our man of the match. Uh, not that he had a huge amount of competition from the left side of things. Because uh, we were generally pretty poor. Um, but he, he looked really strong and really confident. He, he lacked a little bit of confidence, I think, last year when we saw him. Um, He, he had a run of a few games and it, it, he just kind of seemed a little bit nervous. But today he was kind of confident, straightforward, performance, kind of no-nonsense uh tackles and interceptions and and trying to get up to win headers so hopefully he can carry on and he's got johnny evans alongside him who's obviously you know a super experienced still a really classy player um, and a cool head so hopefully he'll learn a lot from evans because you know he's been around the block long enough now to to teach sunshu hopefully everything he needs to know uh, about premier league football but yeah it's an exciting kind of budding partnership i guess um And we'll just have to hope that he kind of carries on that level of confident performance. You know, Wolves is a good litmus test. Um, There will be tougher games, but there will be plenty of more straightforward games than than Wolves at home. Um, Especially, you know, with the way they play um, and dealing with the likes of Jimenez through the middle. Um, So, yeah, he he kind of passed with flying colours today. And hopefully that's a regular thing for him um, because he's a, a kind of really promising prospect for us.
1: Yeah, especially with the prices that you were quoted for some of these players. uh, I guess this might be a future thing for Premier League clubs to promote um, these younger players that they've brought in uh, a little bit of time uh, before. I know a lot of clubs do bring in these these, uh, kind of players to, to develop, so this might be something we see going forward. And if it doesn't work out, clubs will probably be a little bit more forgetful about that £80 budget and be more reasonable about prices in January or next summer so I guess it's a a calculated gamble but it it seems to like it's paying off right now. Uh, A player that did come in this summer, uh, obviously a player I know well Jose Perez played today Um, from my experience of him, he's a very hot and cold player Um, and when you're at £1.5 signing, you can sort of forgive him that uh, and he was given time to sort of develop into our team and, and ended up being a very, very good player for us but as a thirty million pound uh, signing, um, it, you know maybe there's not going to be that patience. What were your first impressions of him today, and do you think that he is going to be a successful list?
2: I think a lot. Uh, it's always dangerous to read too much into pre season, but I think he was one of the prospects that people were most excited about seeing because he had looked quite good. Um, he scored in the only home. We only played one friendly at home a year, basically, and we played Atalanta this year. Uh, he scored the opening goal against them, and generally looked very lively. Um, today, I think was one of his cold days. Um, he had a couple of nice touches, but ultimately looked a little bit kind of lightweight and, and kind of, which for for a player who's had lots of Premier League experience. I was saying to someone today on the way back that it almost looked like he was coming in from a, a league where he's used to a bit more time on the ball. Um, he didn't quite kind of look up to pace today, which is, which is weird. Um, but, you know, hopefully we see more hot days than cold, but he didn't make a massive impression. Um, but he does, I think part of the reason people were so excited about him coming in is that he does fill a need for us, which is a wide player that can hopefully bend a be dependent on semi-regularly, but also someone who we can play as a second striker as well, because if we wanted to change our system uh, and, and go for two upfront, two kind of legitimate out-and-out strikers, which isn't something we've done that often since the, the Nigel Pearson days and the, the Ranieri first season, um, which obviously works very well, but we haven't played two strikers very often uh, in the last couple of years, and most of that is, I think, because we've struggled to find someone to, to partner Vardy. Uh, we've tried and tried and tried and spent a lot of money trying to, you know, get that position filled. Uh, if you look at Silamani, Musa, Inacho, none of them have made anything close to a good impression. So I think people are hoping that Perez can step into that breach, maybe support. You know, if Vardy's going to be your 20 goal a season striker maybe Perez can support him with double figures um, as well um, and then you're not putting too much expectation from a goal front on the likes of Madison. Uh, Barnes, Tamari Gray, kind of who, whoever else is playing out on the, the wide positions um, but yeah it wasn't one of his best days today but hopefully Chelsea next week will kind of see him to better effect maybe on the counter attack and stuff against a team that are expected to dominate rather than today where Leicester dominated possession but didn't really create a whole lot really.
1: Yeah from my experience of Perez he's very much a, a player that can go cold but I think this Leicester team's going to be better suited to him. He's going to have less pressure on him than perhaps he did at Newcastle for a lot of the time when he was our main creative outlet and, and he didn't really thrive under that. So I'm sure he will be a success over time. Uh, but moving into player watch, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on, on a player at each of your clubs. Who you think is going to have a breakout season this year, either good or bad?
0: Um, who am I going to pick? Uh, breakout season, I'm going to say, I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's fair to say it's a breakout season, but I'm going to go for Jota for Wolves because I think what happened with him last season—he had a terrible first half of the season, and then he was very good over the second half of the season—and to the point where, coming down the last ten games or so, he he looked unplayable. He just just burned through teams. He saw off Arsenal and Man United pretty much single-handedly a couple of times. A phenomenal player. He basically plays within himself. Hit today, he didn't have his best game, um, but I think Jim would probably notice even in the fact that he was squandering chances. He was he was twisting away from challenges. He was he was opening up space. We ask a lot of of, of Jimenez and Jota because we're pre- we're predominantly a defensive team that keep a very strong shape and then try to break quickly. And we kind of ask them to pull rabbits out of the hat a lot of the time, um, getting the ball up to them quickly, and they're very good at engineering opportunities. And both Jimenez and Jota have done that brilliantly. Uh, but I think Jota is going to put together, hopefully, if he stays injury-free, a, a wonderful season. He's going to have a lot of goals and a lot of assists. And I think he's going to be seen as, you know, one of the best performers in the Premier League if, if he's able to re- reproduce what he did second half of last season over a 38-game campaign. So, um, so, yeah, so uh, I'm going to say from our small squad, I'm going to say Diogo Jota.
2: Uh, for Leicester, I think it will probably it's difficult because we haven't really brought in too many kind of new faces and we've already talked quite extensively about sunchu so I won't choose him uh just to, to avoid raking over old ground. But I think Hamza Chowdhury could be one that maybe makes a bit more of a breakthrough. I'm not expecting him to be a first team regular kind of every uh, every game, but the way that we set up today in a kind of four three three slash four five one uh formation, I think helped show him to relatively good effect because Tielemans was able to take the creative outlet in the centre of the park. Um, we had Madison and Perez start out wide and then that meant that Wilfred and Diddy and Hamza Chowdhury could really do the defensive kind of heavy lifting uh, and Chowdhury is a prospect that's kind of been around the team for a year or so uh, and he got a little bit of exposure last year but I'm hoping he really takes a step forward this year because our academy you know we've managed to produce a couple of really kind of nice prospects uh, in the last few years got Harvey Barnes who's a, a semi-regular in the team now and Ben Chilwell obviously who's who's locked down left back as his spot. Um, Chowdhury is a really combative midfielder uh, which we saw to a negative effect in the under-21 European Championships over the summer when he got sent off in his first game and basically didn't play again because England got knocked out after the group stage. But um, he's he's still young and a bit green. Uh, he's got a lot a lot to learn, but he's very very combative. He loves chasing back and doing the hard work. Um, and you know he's he's a real kind of crowd favourite in that regard. Not only is is he a, a Leicester kind of academy prospect, which always helps, um, but he's he's really willing to put his body on the line. And him and Ndidi, I think. Um, if we if Brendan Rodgers sticks with the formation he chose today, I think that could really help uh, Chowdhury because he's then not the single part of defensive-minded uh, midfielder. Um, the only problem with that problem with that might be that we were very defensively minded today. We didn't create a huge amount, and I think we created more when we took him off for Harvey Barnes, which allowed us a bit more of an attacking outlet. So whether or not Rodgers is going to choose the more 4-2-3-1 approach over like a 4-3-3, um, in future, which might limit his opportunities, but hopefully, you know, it's a busy, long, old season. So hopefully, he gets plenty of chances because he's he's a very, very talented player, and you know, hopefully, the next one off the production line to to be a first teamer, and then you know, could even be a, a prospect for a move on to bigger and better things at some point if he can prove himself.
1: Yeah, for for Newcastle, who I haven't talked about too much this week. Cause we had so much of that recently, but I, I'll answer this question. Uh, I think today showed that Miguel Almiron was looking very bright uh, in in, go, in forward areas and, and as a team that is going to completely lack goals this year um, and have has a manager that is quite limiting in, in chasing goals. I think that Almiron is a creative spark is going to be quite important for us. Um, I think he's... He's so close to just putting it together in England. He's out now at six months. I think he's going to go on and have a really, really good year. Um, and although today was disappointing with the result, I thought he looked good. Uh, and I think he's going to go on and get quite a few goals in assists, so or, or at least in Newcastle terms of, of not getting many goals and assists as a team. In total, I think Almond's going to be responsible for a lot of the things we do do. So I'm excited to see him develop. Uh, but just before we finish today, uh, we're going to do match previews for next week. So if I come... To you first, Thomas, uh, Wolves are playing Manchester United. How do you see that one going?
0: Uh, yeah, it should be an interesting game. Um, we've won our last two matches against Manchester United at home, i point out. We knocked them out of the FA Cup quarter-final and then we saw them off in the league a couple of weeks later. So, um, you know, that's uh, that bodes well. Uh, they obviously had a, a phenomenal result today against Chelsea. Um, so they'll be coming in hot. I still kind of, uh, although I'm fearful that they will turn it on and just blow us away with, with the attacking talent that they've got, I still look at them and think it's a good game for us in the sense that I think they've got a lot of flaky players who can be brilliant one week and pretty terrible the next. And when you've got a lot of them in the team, so I'm talking about Pogba, Rashford, Martial, Lingard, those are players who all got talent. Can all be very destructive, good players, but they for a long time they've had flashes of brilliance and then been very average. Whereas Wolves are kind of the opposite. We're kind of a ruthlessly consistent team of seven out of ten performers who go out and do the same job every week and grind it out. And we're you know that's no disrespect because there's 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 a huge amount of skill and ability in what they're doing. But so I think it's a a difficult fixture, but I think it's a good fixture for us with it being at Molyneux under the floodlights, um, again, because it's the Monday night football. Um, so I, I think it'll be difficult, but I think we've got a very good chance of getting a result. So um, we've obviously got our Europa League game second leg next Thursday, but we won 4-0 in the first leg. So I'm expecting Nuno to play a shadow squad, even if it features a couple of the you know the, the top choice guys. But um, So hopefully we'll be reasonably fresh by Monday night, and we'll give it a really good go. Don't know what the score will be wouldn't like to say it seems a bit fanciful to be in three times so close together, but um, I'm not ruling it out.
1: And Jim, Leicester facing what looks on paper to be a difficult uh, trip to Stanford Bridge to play Chelsea, but obviously they lost 4-0 today, they've got a relatively inexperienced manager. I guess you're seeing this as an opportunity to go there and win at one of the top six rounds.
2: Yeah, I don't know whether to be worried or pleased with what I saw today from Chelsea because they were very defensively naive. And I, I know Manchester United break quickly on the counter-trap, but that is exactly the way Leicester will look to go to Stamford Bridge and operate uh, with kind of Vardy, Madison, and uh, Perez potentially if we if lines up similar to how we did today. Um, then, you know, those three will absolutely relish the opportunity to run at that defence uh, if they can kind of turn the ball over. Uh, in the Leicester half and, and break-up pace. Um, I think the 4-0 scoreline kind of flattered United today. Um, Chelsea had two, three really presentable chances in the first half. Um, hit the post and the bar. Um, Emerson managed to hit the post and the bar in one go. Um, and uh, Tommy, Tammy Abraham could have easily opened the scoring before United got their opener. So I think it's it's it, you don't want to read too much into that um, and kind of say, oh, look, they got beat 4-0 last week they'll be absolutely fine. Uh, they do have a midweek game. They've got the Super Cup uh, in Istanbul, I think it is, in Turkey, um, as the winners of the Europa League. So I'm hoping that there'll be some kind of uh, kind of travel hangover from that. It's a Wednesday night to a Sunday afternoon um turnaround. So not not the, the most harsh kind of uh, short turnaround but it's not it's not easy for them. Um, and especially with a youthful squad that have not really been able to strengthen because of the transfer ban. So I'm optimistic going into it. I think what we I think what Brendan Rogers will want more than anything is just to show our attacking intent a bit more. Uh, because as Thomas will attest to today, we didn't show a lot of teeth, to be honest. Uh, I think we had one shot in 80. I think it was 81 minutes in was our only shot on target. Um, so it didn't really work, Patricio, at all. So I think we'd be keen to drill that into the players and maybe, you know, approach the game a bit more pragmatically when we're not expected to dominate possession and go back to the, the kind of Leicester glory days approach of sitting deep, breaking on the counter attack, and hoping that we can kind of get in behind Chelsea that way. Um, I think we'll take something from it, and we not be surprised if we if we got a draw. Obviously, I don't want to predict a win because we are going to be underdogs. But I think, uh, yeah, I think we could definitely take something from it. Absolutely.
1: And Newcastle, we face Norwich away, which looks like a very difficult fixture, judged on what I saw on Friday night. I thought they were excellent at Liverpool, went there with a real attacking intent, uh, got quite a few shots away. And and I think the 4-1 scoreline was a little bit harsh on them, and I think that going into a game at Carrow Road uh, against a team that is fancied for relegation it is probably one they're looking forward to. It seems that Newcastle always get drawn against a big big six team at home to start off with, and then a newly promoted club away, which is a horrible fixture, first game in the Premier League uh, It's obviously going to be buzzing there after promotion. They've still got that confidence in in their style. Um, The players look like they're really up for it. Um, It's probably a game you'd rather have around the Christmas time, but we've got it first up, and I think it's going to be difficult. Um, Thought we played okay today. Um, A little bit naive in the second half, I thought. I've never seen a Premier League manager make a substitution and then that player to go to the wrong position and stay there for two minutes before it gets sorted out, which results in a goal. I think that's just ridiculous to be happening in the Premier League that did happen at Newcastle today um, so hopefully the communication gets a little bit better but uh, it's going to be tough I think that a one-all draw maybe it's probably, probably the best we can hope for which just shows all the have of Newcastle at the moment but with that we are out of time but so thanks so much for joining me today guys we just want to tell people where they can reach you now be a good time
0: Yes, guys, yeah. If you want to catch up with anything to do with walls, you can uh, check on the uh, the website itself, which is wallsblog.com. We'll have some lively discussion going on in the comment section of the uh, articles posted on there. And then there's Facebook.com forward slash Wolvesblog if you're a Facebook person or on Twitter at Wolvesblog.
2: Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I've been Jim. You can find me on Twitter at Jim988. I'm a football writer in my day job. Uh, kind of pursuing a few new projects at the moment after leaving uh, the zone and goal um, in the last couple of weeks so I'll hopefully have a bit more information about where you can find my stuff uh, the next time I'm on the pod
1: And I have been hosting today and get me on Twitter at with 2 ends Uh, I do the championship show as well so check that one out but just thanks so much for listening today guys and we hope you join us again soon tree